Well, I'm so thankful today that I have a testimony. Um, I didn't plan on having one. <laughs> I was on my own way, going another way of far from God, and, and he did something. I never planned on being a pastor. I never planned on being a preacher. I don't know if you know that. But I never, it wasn't in the plan. It wasn't what I had in mind. But God did something through Jesus Christ in my life that's too good to keep to myself. And I get to share it with you today again. As the Christ Journey family, we gather here in Coral Gables or wherever you're making your connection with us around the world, across the nation, we welcome you and invite God's spirit to visit with you there. But especially today, I want to say thank you to my mother because she's celebrating a birthday this very day. Mother, if you're watching, I want you to feel the love from, from our family to your family. And I also want to say, I believe, because I was far from God, and she never stopped praying. She recruited others to pray with her, to kind of do dogpile praying. You know, it's like, let's just load up on Billy until he comes home to God, until he finds the Lord in that fresh way. And that's certainly what happened, and I'm sure that that's part of the reason why I have the privilege of being a part of this family today and of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life today too. And so what I'm praying is that that breakthrough could happen for you, for somebody today as we open his word together. You know, if, if Paul were a parent, um, the church of Corinth, the city of Corinth is where we are today, but the church in Corinth would be a troubled child in his family. <laughs> Uh, if, if troubled childhood sounds familiar to anybody, then here's what I would invite you to do. Ask God today to show you what he has for you in this stop on the Life Mission 2.0 tour. Because there's hope in here for those who have troubles, who had trouble before, maybe you're in trouble now. Everybody's got troubles. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. That's just a long word that means lots of troubles. It's like troubles on steroids. If you don't find them, they find you. You don't have to go looking for them, but they will find you. And um, how do you rise? This is the question today. How do you rise to life mission 2.0 when uh, troubles has been part of your life? Troubles has been part of your childhood. If you've known what troubled childhood means. Uh, I googled troubled childhood and a few definitions, uh, lots of definitions came up, but here's what uh, the top three. A state of condition of mental distress or anxiety. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Mental distress or anxiety. A state of condition of disorder or unrest. Troubled childhood. Or a condition of pain or malfunctioning. Now I'm reading those and I'm thinking these descriptors can fit Corinth in the first century which is the next stop in our mission adventures of Paul and company somewhere around 51 AD. But wait, just like me, you may be thinking, hey, that's not just first century Corinth. That's like 21st century Miami. That's like 21st century USA this, or whatever country you're joining us from today. Your country of origin, everybody's got troubles. But I'm talking about, man, Corinth. Corinth has issues. Um bubbling up like bubbles in a hot cauldron of culture. 
The letters that Paul would later write to the people in this city list several of those kinds of troubles and issues that they were facing. For instance, here's a list of them real quickly. Hatred and divisiveness that was polarizing people into competitive groups where they were comparing leaders, comparing preachers even. Imagine anybody doing that. But they were doing it in the first century. Um, There was sexual confusion There was widespread immorality. There were people suing one another in the marketplace and in the church place. There was confusion about maleness and femaleness. What does that mean? What does it matter? Others were like, they were wondering about marriage. What is marriage really? And what does that, what difference does that make? There were people who insisted that you should never eat meat. So they talk about, well, where should you eat meat and where should you not? No, we got some dietary concerns like that. What happens when you die? That was another big question that was troubling people. How do you deal with money? That question hasn't gone away. (laughs) And then what leaders can you really trust? This was a town that was familiar with those kinds of issues just seething in their culture. and, uh, And those are some significant issues, aren't they? I mean, Paul had more trouble with the church that came out of this troubled city than any other in all of his ministries. And yet, and yet, those troubles and God's response to them through Paul gave us many blessings that we are still feeling this very day. Like what? Well, the most incredible definition ever of what love is. You know, the group foreigner says, I wanna know what love is, I want you to show me. Well, Paul does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chances are you've heard about it. It's the most profound definition of love in history, I believe. Paul writes a letter. He wrote it in a letter to these people in this troubled city. His profound treatise on life after death. What happens when we die? What happens in the resurrection? What is that really? And and the amazing capacity and future of the human body. The human body made in the image of God. The capacity of the human body to keep on living by God's touch and by God's transformation. It's right here in this chapter. Art by God. 1 Corinthians 15. This Uh, I said this chapter, I meant this letter, to these people, to these people, this is where it came from. And speaking of the body, I mean, there's so much helpful wisdom about human freedom and human sexuality and how those two can work together for your benefit and take your life to a place of glory. It's in this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so I'm thinking, you know, we have this letter today to help us with our issues about stuff like that because of these troubled people in Corinth way back when. So I'm saying all of that to say this. There's hope for those who can relate to troubled childhoods (laughs) because from this troubled childhood, amazing opportunities develop. If you have ever felt neglected, if you've ever felt abused or abandoned, if you've got distress or disorder, or pain, or malfunction, then there is hope for you from Paul because he spent more time in this troubled city than any other in his mission tour, in in his second missionary journey. Year and a half, in fact. 
18 months. And that's probably because God had given him a special message and a vision to hang out there. Here's what he said. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. I feel like I need to say that. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you. Because I have many people in this city. Wait, wait, wait. What? What? This city? Now, there's a surprise. Think about that. I mean, even with all these troubles, with all this divisiveness, with all these issues, with all this confusion, with all these hot cauldron bubbling issues, man, they had tons of issues, tons of problems. But God was calling Corinth people his own people. Hey, I got people here. And God would reach them through Paul. And so he used a vision to assure him to stay. Now, let's back up a little bit in the journeys. We remember that God used a vision to call Paul to Macedonia. That's northern Greece. Several closed doors first, but then he says, come help us. And now you've got Jesus in a vision inviting him to hang out in southern Greece. He's just crossed the line from Macedonia into Achaia. And God uses a vision to say, now just stay here. I'm going to keep you here for a while. And it was a vision of people that were responding to the story of redeeming love and forgiveness. That's the story we're entering now. Now, speaking of southern Greece, I, this is a good time for me to, um, to mention Sparta. You've heard of Sparta. That was another major city in southern Greece. Paul didn't go there to our knowledge, and neither did our tour group go there. But on our way to Athens, which we talked about last week, we did stop by Thermopylae. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If you ever saw the movie 300, that's, this is where the site of the 300 Spartans held back all of the invading Persian army at that time under the leadership of Leonidas. And so there's a site. We went to the battle site where it happened, and we could see the valley and the, the, the mountain coming in. And then at the base of the hill, there's this amazing, stat, magnificent statue of Leonidas. And so we had all the group uh, get in front, all the guys in the group, actually, uh, stand in front of the statue of Leonidas to kind of spur one another on to our, find our warrior strength. And then uh, there was one of the guys who um, struck a pose <laughs> like Leonidas. Thank you, Bert. Uh, appreciate you a lot. You're, you're wondering, where was Pastor Bill? Well, he struck a pose too. Um, actually, it wasn't at that site. That was another site. But I wanted to show that big donut because I think somebody in Miami should start selling donuts about that size. So if that's you, then please pay attention today. Well, our guide told us that, um, that the shield that Leonidas held was representative of what a Greek mother would do when a soldier's son would be leaving to battle. She would say, now come back with this shield or on it. And what that meant was to her son, You're gonna, you gotta get, go all in. You gotta fight well, you gotta fight honorably. And uh, if you fight and win, I want you coming home with it. But if you don't, I want you coming home on it. In other words, die honorably. And I already showed you the honorable men that we struck a pose there. Um, this neck of land that connected Greece, there's, there's a narrow uh, neck of land that joins northern and southern Greece but it was, uh, Corinth was not known as a warrior town. 
like Sparta. It was a sailor town. So there was lots of sailing vessels coming into port and leaving port, and then lots of sailors all over the place. Julius Caesar actually rebuilt the town of Corinth around 44 B.C. Majority of the population there was Greek, though there was a large uh, group of Roman retired military as well, veterans. At its peak in the B.C. days, there were about 200,000 free men that lived in that population and 500,000 slaves. Can you imagine In the first century, we're fast-forwarding now, but in the first century, it had a Jewish synagogue. It also had temples to all the pagan gods as well. For instance, Apollo, the ruins of the Apollo temple still stand. The others that were in ruins include Poseidon, the god of the sea, which you might expect in a town full of sailors, um, and earthquakes. Asclepius, the god of medicine and healing. The temple of Aphrodite, which had been located in the hundreds of years before in the B.C. days, up on top of the mountain, overlooking Corinth, way up on on the the mountain on high. Now, last week, you know, if Athens was kind of the white-collar city intellectualism, then Corinth was blue-collar working class. Very few rich people here, a lot of uh, poor people here, and at least half of the residents are slaves, After the ancient temple of Aphrodite fell to ruins, this was before the first century ever happened, but scholars say that the thousand temple prostitutes who served in worship there moved into the city to then practice their trade from the lofts above the 33 wine shops that have been uncovered in recent excavations. So Corinth was a city that catered to sailors and to salesmen. The museum that they have on display there has some fascinating relics, uh, statues, art, artifacts from that time that will confirm everything that I'm saying to you um, in evidence, not just story. Corinth had a reputation for commercial prosperity, but also for extreme immorality. To Corinthianize was the way people would refer to living in drunken promiscuity. Just stay high and get as much as you can. And so the ruins of the city, I mean, there's the, they show a bustling marketplace. I mean, my daughter Corey and I were there trying to imagine the, you know, the city being all bustling with, with uh, businesses and people trying to cover their costs. And, and, uh, and then where, which shops would have the art of the day? And uh, I mean, right there in the middle, there was a, uh, a kind of a courthouse too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he reminds the people he wrote the letter to, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ where each, each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And that bema, the word judgment seat, is the Greek word bema, and that actual courthouse step there where, that Paul was referring to, uh, we had a picture of our group taken there as well, the place of judgment. And remember together that Paul wanted the people then, no less than us now, to know that there is coming a day. I mean, all of our behaviors and our words matter so much that there is coming a day before Almighty God who gives us life where we will give account and where consequences will be visited upon us based on what we have done with our lives, our words, our actions, how we treated others, how we treated ourselves. 
And, of course, we thank God that in Christ he intervenes for us. And that was part of Paul's message to them as well. But the Bema was right there. So when, when he wrote about this judgment, see, it was right there in the middle of town. And he was just saying, remember, what you do will come back to you. So Paul would have come into, into town on this road. I mean, this was the literal road where Paul would have walked from Athens into Corinth. And it may have taken him uh, three or four days or maybe longer that they said it was typically day, a three or four day trip uh, on foot. And remember that um, it's just been a matter of weeks, maybe at tops a couple of months since he was stripped, beaten, and flogged in Philippi and then stuck in that prison cell. Remember that? It was earlier in the vision, but that was only a matter of weeks. And so when he gets out and he starts going from town to town, he kind of has to leave towns in a hurry. And scholars say, you know, at tops, it's been two months since he had been beaten. And so you start understanding why he's concerned for his safety. Well, let's see what Dr. Luke tells us as we enter into the story in Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker as they were and he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now we've seen in our travels how he visits and God's impacted the gospel on the Jews in Thessalonica and in Berea and then on the Romans in um, Philippi, and then the Greeks in Athens, but now he's addressing both the Jews and the Greeks. Well, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, that's northern Greece, Philippi, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, maybe because the guys had brought some financial support, which is what we read about in his letter to Philippi, saying, hey, thanks for your generosity, that they had brought enough financial support so that now Paul doesn't need to do his leather work and his tent making to pay his bills. But he can give his full attention to the ministry. Verse 6, but when they opposed Paul, surprise, and then they became abusive, there was verbal and violence involved. He shook off his clothes in protest, and then he said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. It's a turning point. And then Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door. <laughs> I mean, just next door to the house of Tidius Justice, um, a worshiper of God, and Crispus, the synagogue leader. Think about this. Okay, the leader of the synagogue and his family go with Paul next door to the Messiah teaching fulfillment of Scripture. And uh, at that time, you can imagine that kind of got people's attention. It says his entire household believed in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul speak came to faith, and were baptized. And then one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. And no one's going to attack or harm you because 
I have many people in this city. Man. Okay, wait. Now, what are we supposed to make of this? And what can we take of this for our own life mission 2.0 journeys? Especially if you are living in a highly troubled city like they were. And especially if you've ever wondered, how can I keep my faith vibrant and alive in a world full of trouble, temptation, and distraction? That's Corinth. If you can relate to any of that, then maybe you're living in your own Corinth right now, and there's something here for you, some very practical, actionable steps that we can take from the example of Paul on his life mission 2.0. Here's the first. Participate in weekly worship. Once again, that's what he does. He goes to town. It's a Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue. It's an act of worship. It's also an act of mission. That's something you can do too, isn't it? It just, this just becomes part of your life. This is part of your habits, part of what you do. It's Sunday, I go to church. And that's what he says. I, we went into the, okay, second. He says, next, keep the gospel of Jesus front and center in your life. Jesus, Paul was intentional to keep Jesus first. That's what Messiah means. That Jesus as Messiah is your life coach, your life guide, your forgiver, and your Lord, your leader. And so he's preaching Jesus as the fulfillment. The long-awaited Messiah has come, and now let's follow him together. So that's keep the gospel first, and then work in a way that helps others. Apply yourself to work in a way that helps others and cover expenses. Well, that's also what he's doing, cover costs. Paul uses his skills as a tent maker. This is when we find out that he makes tents. He's a leather worker. And he uses it to cover his living expenses until it appears his team shows up with perhaps some financial support that came from the Philippians who always covered his ministry costs and, and allowed him to give his full attention to the ministry of the word there with the people. So I need to hit the pause button here just for a second and say thank you to every person here who's allowed us to do that as a church staff and pastoral leaders that because you give generously to God's church and work, then we're able to, to focus our full attention on assisting his mission being fulfilled here. So thank you very much for that. Um, and the generosity of people who give so that others can uh, be reached as well. Now, uh, as I was reviewing this with Brooke, she said, but you know, Bill, some of our young people, they don't, they don't have jobs. They don't work. What, what can we say to them? If they can't give to help it happen, what can they do? Well, you know what our young people do? They volunteer. They give their time, they give their service, they give their energy, they give their heart. So I would say to all of our young people, our teenagers, thank you for the generous way that you give your time, that you give your energy. And we feel it here in the house because you lift the body to a higher place when you do that. So I just wanna thank you for doing that. But it matters that you work to help others. And then he makes new friends. This is where we, we, Priscilla and Aquila, these are believers that he has something in common with. They share a common culture from their background. They're Jews. They share common work. They have their skill sets in common, you know. And then it says they share beliefs around Messiah together. What we're talking about here is the fellowship of Christians. What Paul's got here is a small group. <laughs> That's what he's got. He's got a small group that meets in a home. And they're helping him in Corinth. To stay focused, it's so significant to your life mission. Don't neglect your friendships in the faith. 
And maybe that's a decision that somebody can make today. Okay, every Sunday I want to do weekly worship. <laughs> every Monday I want to be applying myself to work so that I can cover my costs, but I can also contribute to God's mission moving forward. And then I want to make some new friends. I'm going to have a group of, that's going to help me in my life every week that I live. And uh, then finally he says, stay attentive to God for real-time guidance and support. Paul's prayer life guided his daily life, his waking life of the day. But did you notice it also interrupts his nights? Has God ever interrupted your sleep? You woke up in the middle of the night, well, how would I know if it was God? Just ask. That's what I do. Lord, is this you? Did you wake me up? Is there something that, you know, if it is, because if it's you, then speak, Lord, your servant is listening. This is not a joke. This happens to me. This is what I do. Lord, is that you waking me up? And then I say, but if it's not, would you help me go back to sleep? Because I got stuff I got to do tomorrow. So... So what I'm saying is every one of us can do every one of these every day. You can practice these steps of faith in your journey that will take you to a life mission 2.0. This is about inviting God's blessing to meet us in the marketplace of our lives. This is marketplace faith. And even if that marketplace is full of troubles and temptations, and distractions and hardships. God can meet you there and can help you there. But there's one more thing that Dr. Luke wants us to see, something that will impact the reach of Jesus all across southern Greece now. Uh, the rest of the chapter actually talks about how he's brought before Gallio, who was a Roman proconsul. That's like a, a governor over the entire region or the area. And that governor makes a ruling that essentially declares Christianity legal in Achaia. Now, up to that point, remember that wherever Paul goes to, to teach, to share his testimony, to share his message from God, it seems like somebody's always busting him. You know, they're, they're turning him into the officials because he's inviting people to practice an illegal religion. That he's inviting them to believe things that are unlawful for Romans or that are against Caesar. We've heard that throughout the story, right? And so the jealous religious leaders here are claiming that Paul is committing treason. He's committing sedition against Rome by preaching that Jesus is king instead of Caesar. And Gallio is listening, and it happens in Corinth, right there at the Bema. And uh, this time, the Roman governor tells them that the charges they're bringing really don't sound like criminal activity to him. That this, this really doesn't have anything to do with illegal conduct. That it sounds to him like they are matters for inter, internal matters to the Jewish religion. And so they should be handled there, not in Roman courts. Now remember, in Paul's mind, back up with me for a second, he never thought that he was creating a new religion by preaching Jesus. All he was doing is saying that the seed of the ancient prophecies have now come to full bloom in Jesus the Messiah. So that's why he wanted everybody to know that Jesus came for the Jews and the Greeks and God's Messiah has arrived for all of us. And then Gallio is hearing that and saying, you know, this falls under the exemption that Julius Caesar gave the Jews. That they were allowed to worship their own God exclusively and not be forced to worship the pagan gods, including the emperor, 
because many towns now are having temples to the emperor where you had to pray to the emperor as your act of worship. And the Jews had an exemption so that if they agreed to pray for the emperor, then they didn't have to pray to the emperor as if he were God. And Gallio hears that, so he, and he says that same provision of religious tolerance is now going to be including the Jews who see its fulfillment in this name. This name. Verse 15, he says, words and names of your own law. And of course, the name was Jesus, our Messiah. And then the governor tells them, so just leave. And so as the synagogue leaders were turning to leave, they jumped on and mugged their own new uh, temple, their synagogue leader, Crispus. Not Crispus, but the new guy. Uh, what was his name? It's in there. I just lost it somewhere. Anyway, let's all look it up later. <laughs> because here's what happens. They beat him in front of the governor, and the governor does nothing about it. Why? He's proving to them, we're not going to interfere in matters of religion. And I wonder, what does that matter to us? Well, if you've ever lived in a country where there is little to no religious freedom, unlike our own, but if you've ever lived in a country where there is little to no religious freedom, then you already know. If you've come from a country where government sought to stifle and silence religious practice of whatever kind, then you already know. Even so, Religious persecution is a real deal in our world. And even our own history, Christian history, to our shame, has oppressed in the name of religion. And so I'm wondering if Dr. Luke just saw this happening and said, hey, <laughs> Let's, there's, here's some hope from a troubled place that God is still at work even in the midst of circumstances of conflict and trouble, even through unbelieving officials to make way for the advance of his cause. Well, let's land this. If you've ever felt like you had a troubled childhood, if you feel like your world is, being, is like a big seething pot of trouble and temptation and it's getting on you, don't be discouraged. That's the point of the text, I believe. Take heart. God is not absent. I am with you even in Corinth. That Corinth, that mashup of corrupted power and religion, of immorality and idolatry, of uh, all these complicated conflicts that, that, um, that it's not too much for Jesus. And for those who follow him, that Jesus can turn your troubles into triumphs as you trust him. Nobody's too far from God, not even in Corinth. Nobody's too far gone from God for Jesus. Nobody's too addicted. Nobody's too conflicted. Nobody's too set in their ways. It's just the way I am. Nobody's too stuck in troubled circumstances. Nobody is too trapped in troubled beginnings. I had such a troubled childhood, but God still has a happy ending for you. You're not too far gone, and neither is your loved one. Neither is your wayward child. Neither is your unbelieving spouse. Neither is your aging parent. Neither is 
fill in the blank. Jesus is with you. And he's got people in Corinth. (laughs) They may not know him yet, but he knows them. And he wants somebody to help reach them. Maybe you. In your Corinth? Yeah. You know why jewelers put pearls on display of black velvet? It's because they stand out so much there, right? They just pop. They shine. They shimmer. They catch the light. God's jewels do that too. And sometimes God displays his people like pearls on dark backgrounds. Why? So that they can let their light shine. And other people can see the glory. Paul was there. Maybe you are too. You're in a Corinth. It feels dark. It's troubled. It's tempting. It's all that stuff and more. But then what can you do? Okay, here it is again. Stay involved in weekly worship. Keep the gospel of Jesus first in your life. First light, first choice. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then work in a way that helps others and also helps cover costs. Apply yourself meaningfully in contribution. And then make new friends in a group of believers. That's going to give you survival in Corinth. And then pray and stay attentive to to God for real-time guidance and support. Keep the conversation open day and night. And then finally, trust the Lord to turn your troubles into triumphs in spite of your circumstance. Can you do that? Then you're on your way, even in Corinth, (laughs) to a life mission 2.0. Now, next stop on our journey is Ephesus. We got to cross the Aegean Sea to get there. And um, it's, I'm really looking forward to this message because Ephesus and Miami could both earn the name City on the Edge. So I can't wait for us to go there. And speaking of edge, uh, Paul's head meet the razor's edge. Acts chapter 18, 18 says that before he goes, he has his head shaved as part of a, a vow that he's made. So I thought, I wonder what it would look like if I joined him. And I uh, <laughs> thought, well... Maybe, maybe I'll do it. You know, we're going to Ephesus and there's, will I do it? I don't know. Come and see. You'll have to come next week and find out. And Lisa, if you're watching right now, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see what happens. Oh, my soul. Okay, so what's your next step? That's what's most important in the Christ journey is your next step. Nobody else can take it for you, but you can. What is it you're supposed to do? What has God given you that you can do? What's your next step today to get to your life mission 2.0, to take this to a whole other level, you know, to welcome Jesus into your marketplace, the slice of life where you spend and invest your time? You could say, well, Lord, your kingdom come, my kingdom, not so much. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my space of life as it is in heaven. And Lord, for the people in my life that in my Corinth (laughs) that you've got your your eye on, your heart for, then could you use me? So Lord, I just want to pray for who would you fill in the blank with? A family member, a neighbor, a classmate, a business associate, a relative. Who would be there? Lord, could you use me? I'm on black velvet. I must be shining. Shine through me, Lord. You know, if God, uh, if God was talking about Miami right now to somebody and said, you know, I got a lot of people in that city. Is your name on that list? Are you one of those people? 
then take that step. Lord, I want to be on that list so that you can use me to help people get on that other list, that one that says their name is written down in heaven. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us a testimony. We pray that you would help us and use us so that other people can find a testimony too. And we thank you for people through our lives in some of the most dark and difficult situations that let their light shine and kept calling our name out before you until finally the lights came on for us. There's somebody you want to say thank you, Lord, for right now. Just do it. And then let's also turn the page and say, and Lord, would you use me to be that somebody for somebody who's in Corinth right now? They haven't seen the light because it's dark there. And so I pray that you would just help me be real, be loving, and stay true to you in my relationship with them. It's a family member, it's a relative. Who is it? And perhaps you're here today because of the invitation of somebody who cares about you. And you didn't know what to expect, and you tried religion, and it hasn't really filled your heart space. But today, the thought occurred to you that maybe Jesus could make the difference for you. So I would like to suggest two prayers that you could pick from today. One is just, God, if you're real, would you show me? Maybe that's the prayer that you could pray today. You, you say, I'm not a church person. I'm not a person of faith. I wasn't raised this way. But you could still ask God this. If you're real, would you show me? And then just watch through the week. Listen. Or maybe today is the day for this prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive my sins. Come alive in me by the power of your resurrection and lead me into eternal life. It's just a step of faith, but it's the beginning of this incredible journey. So, Lord, we pray for every person here, but especially those who may have just joined me in that prayer. If that was you, our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed to ask Jesus to come into your life, and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith. Would you simply raise your hand and hold it up for a moment and allow me the opportunity. Thank you, sir, here in the middle. And to the back on my right, I'm seeing several hands there. God bless you. Right here on my left on the aisle, God bless you. And again, sir, right in the middle on my left, amen. Uh, Lord, for every person whose hand I saw, for those joining us online that are checking in the are, are joining in the chat, we pray that your spirit would bring peace and joy and assurance that you have heard their prayer and that today is the day of a brand new beginning for them. Bless them as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.